Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Lotus Eaters, for Tuesday, which isn't the worst day. Monday's the worst day. But today... 24th of October. What's wrong with including the date? I still... I'm, I'm Lack of standards. I'm joined by Carl. You're turning this podcast <laughs> into Zimbabwe when it and, used to be Rhodesia. And Helen over here, Helen Dale. Who's, uh, what would Ian Smith say, Callum? Uh, he would say, learn the date, you freaking... What's exactly. Wrong? He was like, oh, I've woken up. Do I have work today? Better tune into the Lotus Eaters to find out. Some standards, uh, Callum. That's I don't all. think that's standards. I think that's, I th- I think that's definitely standards. I think it's weird. <laughs> anyway, but no, today we're joined by Helen Dale. Want to say hello? How are you? Good to see you again. See you too. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Australia saying no. Uh, jihad has many meanings, of course. There's, there's the book of Job. Nuances of jihad. And uh, the mad cap Argentinians on the march. Oh, yeah. It's really funny. There's going to be. Like, uh, it's, no, it's not going to succeed. Something. It's just really funny, though. I'm worried there might need to be some censorship on YouTube on those. I don't know. No, no. Well, what, you're going I mean, to get censored by a Spanish YouTuber, are you, for for putting up a Spanish speaking person? I just imagine he's going to come out and be like, yes, death to this, death to that, death to these things. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. But they're all concepts, so it's okay. <laughs> anyway, I suppose we, uh, we shall begin, which um, Helen's joined us to come and tell us about Australia saying no. Australia on the 14th of October voted no with a great deal of emph- emphasis, I think is probably fair to say, in their referendum to add on the idea of adding an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to the constitution. Now, this might sound completely left field, so I will have to step back a little bit and do a bit of background, which is what I had to do both for The Spectator last week and also for The Telegraph last week. Like the United States, Australia has a written entrenched constitution. Unlike the United States, however, it has no Bill of Rights. It also has tended to abrogate or just not sign international human rights conventions. It tends to sign the more limited versions of them. It's very interesting. At all. And there is a reason in the 19th century for Australia not having a Bill of Rights. It's because the clever British thinker that the Australian framers, they're called framers in Australia rather than founders, uh, who they were most influenced by was a chap called Jeremy Bentham. Oh, really? Hmm. And anyway, Jeremy Bentham's argument is that natural rights don't exist, or one of his arguments, he did lots and lots of different things, but he argued that there are no such thing as natural rights, and he used an expression that has become quite famous, uh, known as, he said, no, the idea of natural rights or natural law is nonsense upon stilts. And you might occasionally hear that, and he's mm. the person who originally said it. So the Australian framers were persuaded by Bentham that rights don't ex- pre-exist states, rights come from states, and because the Australian settlement was very intensely democratic, this is a country that go- that... Uh, didn't have the franchise disputes that the UK and the US had. So votes for women very early, votes for unpropertied men very early, um, and unusual political innovations around the ballot itself. The form of the secret ballot that is used in every developed country in the world was originally developed in Australia, that, that style of secret ballot with a cubicle that you go into with a curtain or so nobody can see you. That's a, an Australian innovation. It used to be called the Australian ballot. So when it did 
came up with this arrangement. It said if we're going to change and insert rights or anything else in the constitution, we need the consent of the people, not the parliamentarians. And so the method for changing the Australian constitution was copied from Switzerland. So that means to change the constitution, you have to have a referendum of all the people. So they vote, they all vote. But there's a special double majority rule because Australia is a very intensely federal system. You don't just need a majority of the people like we needed for the Brexit vote here. You also need a majority of the states. So that means four out of six. Three out of six states is not enough. Four out of six. And the two territories, the Australian Capital Territory and the Northern Territory, their votes only contribute to the overall sum. They don't contribute to any of the state-based votes. They didn't used to be counted at all. We actually had to have a referendum to, to allow people in the territories for their votes to count. That gives you an idea about this referendum system. That was copied from Switzerland. There have now been 45 referendums since Federation in 1901. There were also referendums. God, that is a lot. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but we've had like three. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm kind of liking what I'm hearing, if I'm honest. Uh, so the uh, so Australia's had 45 now since 1901. So it's like a referendum every other year, and every third year. And there were also referendums around the, the issue of federation before that in Australia. And this is also mainly in New South Wales, which was the biggest state in the 1890s. So the use of <clears> referendums and the use of the idea that democracy and majorities really, really, really matter has been a big part of the Australian settlement since before the country formally existed as a country. Just a quick question here. Is, uh, I understand that Australia has a compulsory voting system. Yes, Are the does. referendums compulsory? Yes, well? they are also compulsory as well. <laughs> God, I'm feeling, so one of, feeling more ANCAP by the moment. One of the, one of the things that I said, I don't think I said it in the Spectator piece, but I said it in the Telegraph piece, Australians vote a lot. Yeah. And the effect of both the compulsion, the compulsion and the fact that they vote a lot means that you've, ha you've produced a, a politically literate electorate, much more literate than the electorates that you get in other democracies. I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm just stuck on the, you don't have rights, but you are going to vote. <laughs> like, like, just literally, why can't the government just leave me alone for five minutes? I'm just trying to kill a snake or something or find a yowie in the desert. You don't know what a yowie is. I mean, it's like a, a fair argument. Bunyips, bunyips, bunyips. Oh, well, yeah, bunyips. <laughs> like, uh, just or a drop bag. Christ. I mean, like, imagine being a thousand miles out into the Australian desert and there's just a little bit of dust on the horizon. Like, oh, God, here comes the government. Yeah, but like, there must be a referendum. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. No, but now that you mention all this, I've never thought about it, but if you're going to have a democracy, why wouldn't you do that? Because the system we have... Because I'd like some rights. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You'd like some rights. You yeah, don't I have any. Either, I know, do I don't all have any I, here. Yeah, all, it, all, I my point being, all I can recommend to you is that there are distinctive traditions within liberalism. Australia yeah. is a liberal democracy. Americans might like to call themselves a constitutional republic, but it too is also a liberal democracy. The UK is a liberal democracy, but so is France. Hmm. And they have a very different system. And they have an official state policy, laicite, secularity, which is not a great translation of that French word, but anyway, that is very different from the United, the American settlement because the French think in their tradition of liberalism that you can have such a thing as perfectionism. So that means yeah. even though the state is a democracy, you are, and the government can change, there are a certain set of overarching ideals towards which the Republic of France 
should orient itself mm. and has it has done so for yeah uh, terrible um, ideal second only to well no actually only slightly worse than bentham to be honest Sorry, so man. so the the that's the it's still a tradition of liberalism and that's why macron can sound so emphatic in a way that say rishi sunak never or boris johnson would never sound emphatic or even keir starmer because they're coming out of different traditions of mm. liberalism the australian benthamite tradition it has positive effects the voting down of this emerged very much and very intensely out of the australian settlement which is intensely egalitarian mm. and to be fair he has since written about it but malcolm turnbull who was originally opposed to this in 2016 when I was in Australia, very loudly opposed to it. He, the, and the argument he made, he says, Australians will not tolerate putting into the Constitution something for which the qualification is in addition to Australian citizenship. The whole point of the Australian Constitution when it was drafted was that citizenships get citizens get equal rights mm. and equal duties. You know, this is the Aussie settlement. This is the bedrock 1890s Australian settlement. It was, you know, the temper, the bias of the country is sure. intensely democratic and egalitarian. Turnbull changed sides and argued for yes, but he has since written a big mayor Cooper in The Guardian where he said, I was trying to defeat you know, present Malcolm Turnbull was trying to win an argument with past Malcolm Turnbull and past Malcolm <laughs> and Turnbull he lost. turned out to be right, basically. <laughs> and, he, and he said that, literally, he says that, I lost. To himself. <laughs> to himself, in his article, he says that. I've had loads of arguments with my past self and won them all. He's not here to defend himself, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> yeah, well, Malcolm Turnbull's past self won. <laughs> Still dominating, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So, and because the the... the Big thing with this, and I've put the details in the Telegraph and the Spectator piece, but the core issue that it degenerated, mm. it devolved down into this single issue was, yes, we're constantly arguing this doesn't give people extra rights on the basis of race. And no, we're constantly arguing was, you are going to have to set up an organisation that the proposed yeah. section which I quote in both of them, you know, there will be an organisation, you know, there will be a body to be called the, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. This was going to go into the constitution. Um, you are going to have to select somehow. And you say race doesn't exist because human biologically don't have race. They, we don't have subspecies. We're not like chimpanzees. Sure. Chimpanzees do have subspecies. But Aboriginal ancestry stands out on a DNA test more obviously than any other kind of ancestry. There are certainly ethnic groups. Yes. Yeah, so what it is, there, there is ancestry or ethnicity. So the point was, is the Yes campaign was saying, well, race doesn't exist, so it's not based on race. But what they were doing was treating the narrower def and more act biologically accurate definition, which is ethnicity or ancestry, they were then treating that in the same way that people in the 19th century treated race. Yeah, the, this I, I kind of it was. Hate a, it looked like kind of sleight of hand. It really it, did. well, it is because like when when they say oh, race doesn't exist, and then they default to this very 
narrow scientific, well, there are no subspecies of humans. Like, yeah, but that's not really what was being said when we said races, right? Because you could say something like the Norwegian race, and what you're saying is civilization, the sort of continuity of that civilization and culture and ethnicity. People would, I mean, and to that's be fair, in not the 19th an inaccurate century, description. They didn't know. Darwin didn't know because sure. he was relying on observation, basically, if there were human races. We didn't know yeah. how distinct humans were from each other. Since the human genome has been sequenced, we now know that the, the biggest difference between um, human groups is about 5% of their genetic material, whereas with chimpanzees, you routinely get 25%. Hmm. You know, because they've been asked, populations have been well, that's, isolated that's not really so long. what people are talking about. But it's not, yeah. no, it's <laughs> So, not. you know, it's a kind of, it's a it, slight it is, red herring. It is good news that I literally can't be racist, though, because there are no racists. <laughs> I'll be honest. Yeah, well, this is the thing. And people started making this very, very, these kind of very, very obvious and basic points. And, the, and what made it worse for the yes case was that during the campaign, because it said there shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, and then it construed it as, and it shall be for Parliament to set up how it's yeah. to be constructed. About the only thing that th two things that people knew would definitely happen with this if it if Australians had voted yes was that it was pretty clear that the voting for the voice would be compulsory amongst Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And you don't have rights either. Uh, what? The hell is wrong with this? Sorry, go on. Well, it's liberalism. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I know. Yeah, classic liberalism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Rights, no. Guns, yes. So, Get voting. So you're pretty clear that that, that would happen. <laughs> but the thing is, inevitably, that meant that the voting would have to be confined to Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders. So how do you work out who they all are? <laughs> you let's start DNA testing your, your own citizens. And that... The implications of that just became clearer and clearer and clearer during the course. Are the left not like concerned that they're going to have the state literally single out and compel uh, minorities to act in certain ways? Like that, that doesn't. That just didn't, that see, didn't cross it did their not mind, seem you know? to click. And when one person, uh, uh, I, I would one of the, <laughs> it did not seem to occur to them. I don't care about the, that if I'm a leftist. <laughs> what it is is they all. This has become the classic thing of the modern illiberal left, and it yeah. used to be a trait of the, the illiberal right. And I do buy Louise Perry's arguments to a degree that when you fight against this kind of illiberality, and not just on speech grounds, but in various other areas, you know, like whether it's, it's secure cryptography or so on and so forth, when you are having these fights, you are fighting from a position of weakness. You know who mm. is in authority when you, against them, have to make free speech and privacy yeah, yeah, arguments, obviously. basically. Yeah. I think Louise Perry is correct about this. And so what happened was that what I've just said there, this point was made by one of the people on the no side. He said, you do realise that in order to de delimit the electorate, we're going to have to have DNA tests. You can't just identify as Aboriginal or otherwise everyone in Australia will identify as Aboriginal. Why not? Um, and, they, and they've set up a, a th over the years because of this issue a three-part test. You need actual ancestry. You need recognition by a community, um, and you need to be willing to be recognised by that community as well. I, I mean, I have a friend. Uh, I have you a friend. yourself have to be willing to be recognised. I yeah. have a friend. So they can't just claim you. So they can't just claim you. I have a friend, Professor Katie Barnett, 
at the University of Melbourne, who's part Aboriginal, hmm. but she has been and she has been invited to to join various communities, but she won't because one of the effects of satisfying the tripartite test is you do finish up being treated differently hmm. in law um, and in ways that she finds disagreeable. Yeah. Like there are different rules for benefits and there are different and that there are they tend to be based on economic and social disadvantage, of course, which she has none. She's yeah. a professor of law. Um, and so she thinks anybody who claims claims it on yeah. is just working the system and p- picking the taxpayers. But this is, this is the formalization of literal tribal politics. It is. Like this is literally how a tribe works. You need to be recognized by the tribe, but you also need to recognize the tribe and have some sort of Blood connection to them. connection to them yeah. as no, well. What I love about that is like Stalin wouldn't bother with this. He would just be like, "You're, you're, <laughs> a, you're a Tatar." There's there's no asking the person, "Are you an Aboriginal or not?" That's that's amazing to me that he would bother. Sorry, the, the, the no, Australian no, no, system that would mod- bother, and you could state, opt out. No, no, modern states don't do it. And the thing is, the reason why, and Carl is right here, the reason why you get that tripartite test of Aboriginality is precisely for those tribal reasons. It's a two-way street tribalism. People yeah. always think it's just one, but it's not. They have to claim you, but you have to claim to be yeah, one yeah. of them as well. Um, it's, it's actually really interesting because I actually think that we could learn something from this from the uh, newcomers in Britain who are like, I'm British. It's like, no, you, we need to accept you as British before you can say you're British. Like, it's it, the, it it's, actually is it's kind an of, older tradition that was stronger in Scotland than here. It's yeah. the whole idea of you can't just bowl up to a clan. Yeah. The clan has to yeah. have you as a sept of the clan and all of that kind of thing. And, and so it requires rules. a lot of good faith on both parties. right? That's so you, how I feel about this. Like mm. The concept of the group has to accept the person makes perfect sense to me. But the idea that you can be Aboriginal like your professional friend, mm. but then because they don't say so, they're not Aboriginal now, That that's not real. That's yeah. just legal. Well, it's, it's a legal fiction. Yeah. It's it's identification, and once again, we're dealing. Even when there is a biological reality in which it is rooted here, mm. Abra- but Katie did a DNA test, and there it is. It's in her family tree. It's and uh, she's done a couple mm. now. She's I think she's done ancestry, and the one the other one of the other ones, twenty three and me, and it comes up the same or very similar. They they use different bases, the different genetics companies, but it's 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 there. I mean, this is the the problem of even when there is a biological root, identification is a very, very strange and very modern phenomenon. And yes, it's quite weird. It is quite weird, even where there is a genuine biological tie. Well, it's it's it's, it's the, a weird way of thinking about the world. It's the modern liberal state trying to understand tribalism, right? Like pre-modern tribal politics. Because this the everywhere in the world before about 1600 would have operated in this way. Just without the formality of law, it's just this would have been the normal social even, life. Even philosophically, the idea that I am the determinant of if I'm part of a ethnic group or not doesn't even make sense. It's to not me. an ethnic group; it's a tribe. No, no, no but right. even on a tribal level, like you, you have a group of uh, the tribe, say, that come to you and say, mm. "You're one of us, lads." You are, whether you like it or not. It's how I no, no, that. you can leave the tribe. Well, then they're not. But the thing is, what happened like historically? when you're dealing with forager civilizations and even to a degree pastoralist civilizations, but certainly with foragers, is that if someone left, they tended to die. That's why ostracism yeah. was so yeah, dangerous. You, you didn't want to generally leave a tribe. Like, you know. you know, people would do so. And that's why you yeah. get though, or I mean, you get stories when you get very early stories from different civilizations. Mm. There's even elements of it because Homer was writing a long time after the the events that he 
was depicting. But, but there are elements of it there in the story of Ulysses. Oh, yeah. And the reason why people think all his friends and so on and so forth um, uh, think, oh, well, he's, he's, he's dead at sea is because of that thing that is someone who gets isolated. And he is shown all the way through the books yeah, yeah. as a someone who is a step, bit standoffish and doesn't fit in very well and, and that kind of thing, but is still liked and respected because he's very capable. Uh, but it, this is why Penelope is getting it in her ear all the time. You know, why have you still got a candle in the window for this bloke? Yeah. And this why? is why the story of Genghis Khan is so remarkable because he got abandoned by his tribe with his brothers and his mum and survived and then came back and took over and then took over everything else. Yeah. You know, this is why that story is so, so amazing. It's because literally it was expected to just die on the steps. So, and, and you get like other things like the exchanging of wives. So the wife leaves sure. one tribe and I mean, goes to another tribe to formalize uh, an alliance and things like this. But she becomes a member of the other tribe now. I'm not sure right. how much I can relate to the, the old tribal systems, the new ones, because the new ones are weird. Yeah. Yes. But the, the, the new one. But the what, new ones, what, like Carla's saying, they represent an attempt. By liberals and liberals who are not well informed of their tradition, yeah. of any of the traditions within liberalism, yeah. to be fair, trying to develop a system of politics uh, that will work with tribes or with tribal yeah. organizations. And they can be very destructive. If you, I mean, there's a Labour MP, I think she's still an MP, who can say some completely nonsense stuff, but she's oh, very good sure on this. Labour MP. Uh, Naz, um, Naz Shah has taught, yep. and in, in Urdu, it's Bilidri politics clan politics yeah. and it's why you get this weird phenomenon of all these um you know you get you know, pakistani background councillors in certain english towns and they'll all be related to each other because it's their turn yeah. you know to go through the bidadri politics and we we think we find it we consider that and we even have a word for it nepotism yeah. and that is actually derived from nipote uh which means niece or nephew in Italian or, mm. or in Latin. Um, it's one of those ones that's a common form rather than masculine or feminine. And because nepotism comes from jobs, giving jobs or money or help to, to your niece or nephew. Yeah, because it, it, it's just an entirely different way of running a civilization yeah. that you'd, you'd keep uh, opportunity and money within the family in some way. But the family is also defined more generously than it's a lot broader. Yeah, yeah. So you will tend to do things like know who all your cousins are, know who all your, your first cousins once yeah. removed are, know who is related to everybody on both sides of mm. the family, and exactly what role they play within the family as well. But the, this is this is the difference between uh, sort of like the Anglo-speaking world and the Mediterranean world or anywhere else is we've got much more of a strong sense of national identity actually when it comes to that sort of thing. We you know we say British jobs for British people. So we don't think about who the British people are. We're not saying, you know, British jobs for my mum. had to. Yeah, you never had to, but now yeah. we're in an entirely different but this era. Is, and, and that's why you get the, the definition of aboriginality, which is an attempt by a liberal state uh, to adopt bits of that. Yeah. And the thing is, it then became why, as a result of a referendum campaign in a country with compulsory voting, so you have to pay attention and, and vote in it, that thing that had been sort of existing in Australia probably for 30 years mm. that, that those big, was exposed to the wider Australian public. And I think it's probably fair to say they didn't like what they saw well, and would... they didn't want it entrenched any further. And they certainly didn't want it in the, in the, in the country's founding document. And the, the one thing I haven't covered in this, these two pieces for the spectator and for the Tory graph, but I will cover in a piece for law and Liberty, which is the legal magazine where I'm senior mm. writer is post the vote. I wasn't really sure about it 
because the Tory graph piece came out on Tuesday last week. I was just seeing a little bit on Twitter and I thought, no, I'm not going to do the lazy journalist thing and report what I've seen on Twitter. I will investigate this. But in in the week... That's why we have you on, Helen. You're you're a step above the average journalist. (laughs) (laughs) So in the week since then, it has now become clear, since that was published in the newspaper, it has now become clear that significant parts of the Yes campaign in Australia, and this is very unusual in the context of Australian politics, precisely because we do have referendums and they are part of our culture, political culture, has started to do go into meltdown in the same way that Remain did after 2016. And, I mean, meltdown in the sense of Russian disinformation must have done it. Yes, I know. I, I, I didn't want to believe, yes. Vladimir anybody, Putin's like, those Indigenous aren't getting a vote. Anybody in Britain is currently having PTSD about the period 2016 to 2019, about, but particularly 2016 and 17, which was when it was at its absolute worst. The Russian boot on the Aboriginal neck once again. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> so we have, yes, there, that Russian, be there has away, been. But there's also been, oh, it's not just Russian disinformation no, or misinformation. That. It's also, you're all racists, yep. of course. Yep. You know, not all no voters. Uh, not all no voters are racist, but all the racists voted no. Where have we yep. heard a version of that before? Yep. Not all all Brexit voters are racist, but everybody who voted for Brexit, all the racists who did vote, voted for Brexit. Well, yeah. That's ironic because it's the, exactly the same. The yes proposition is predicated on a on a form of racism. Like to say, no, there's a difference between the European Australians and the Indigenous Australians. And the, I mean, literally, their argument hinged on the fact that the Indigenous couldn't succeed in a system where they didn't have a kind of special privilege because of the inequalities in lifestyles and things like that. So it's predicated on a form of racism. Which was the point. Yeah. Which they is, just hammered the point. Which no, is what the egalitarian. Why, and it's all, the, which is what the yeah. egalitarian tradition is tied into, but that's also vote no to the voice of division. That is what yeah. was no's big thing. And the other, there were two slogans no had, vote no to the voice of division, which is the one you can see there. But there was also one was as if you don't know, vote no, was mm. the other one they did. That's clever. And, and yeah. yes, and that was caused because despite it, the text of the proposed change, which everybody read and got sent to them in the post, this is the way the Australian I, system works. I t- so I just... I could just picture just some poor guy in a standout with the police, and it's like, just come out, Jimmy. Come out and vote. Say, no, I don't want to. We're going to have to shoot you, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry. Just leave me alone, bro. God, sorry. You God. want democracy or not? If so, <laughs> no, I don't. All right, that's it. We're going in. <laughs> and the, the th- and the, that was because of the refusal of the Albanese government to fill in any detail hmm. of what was going to make up the voice and this was this it really was very bad behavior from albanese this part just in the context of traditional political campaigning because a number of indigenous people and other people had put a lot of thought into trying to come up with a system to do this democratically to do it you know to 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 try to come up with a good voice Mm. that if it were voted for that would work and they all just got Oh yeah, we had trashed, this report, yeah. and then they were just trashed. Yeah. And, yeah, and there was one there that was actually paid for uh, by the Commonwealth Parliament, done by an academic, Marsha Langton, and it was literally her whole this like three hundred page report with detailed maps and statistics and all of this kind of thing it was all just chucked into the long grass. That's excellent. It might, it might as well have not happened. That's so good. 
<laughs> I don't want to see detailed 300-page reports. If you can't sum it up in one sentence, I'm not voting for it. So this is... And so this was... People got a close-up view of stuff that's been happening in Patchley across Australia. Um, they un- started to understand what was going to be replicated at a national level and on a much wider scale if they voted for it. But the, the, the fundamental thing that the vote turned on and all the exit polls agreed and so on and so forth was what Malcolm Turnbull, historic Malcolm Turnbull back in 2016 said was, ghost you of cannot, yes, yeah, old, old Malcolm, pre-old Malcolm Turnbull as opposed to present Malcolm Turnbull, which was you cannot have a system instituted in a country that is intensely democratic and egalitarian the way Australia is that gives people a civil right for which the qualification is something other than being an Australian citizen. You cannot do that. And he made the point, he said, because he originally ran the pro, the yes to the Republic campaign in 1999, and he said, this was the argument that I was trying to make on the Republic. He says, and I lost that up because the thing is, the head of state is not an Australian citizen. King Charles III is not at the time, nor was the Queen. Um, And he said, and I lost that argument. And the reason I lost it in large part was because people decided that the Australian political system works well. um, And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. As I said to the spectator, this was before the vote, I said, part of the thing that's so tragic about the Australian Aboriginal, not so much the Torres Strait Islanders, but certainly the Aborigines, what's so tragic about it is that unlike with the Republic, where if it ain't broke, don't fix it, was an absolutely fine response, and that's what the Australian people responded to the proposed change. Um, With Aboriginal affairs or in Australia, the problem is that the situation is broken, but it was also pretty clear that this wasn't going to fix it. It it produced other unpleasant side effects in an egalitarian country. It was basing a civil right on on something other than being an Aussie citizen. Um, And it also did look like it was just going to entrench more of this tribal bureaucracy and corruption. And there has been very bad historic corruption in Australia. And they just just, don't want that. But now we're getting the yes meltdown, and it's probably better to just recommend Lotus Eaters, eaters, viewers and listeners, just go on the internet, just change your setting on Twitter X and just look at the Australian trends and Ozpol, hashtag Ozpol, don't involve yourself in it. It's the most vicious cesspit on Twitter in English, the Ozpol hashtag. (laughs) It's vicious. I'll say that because I worked in Aussie politics for two years for a parliamentarian and was a participant. And it's just, uh, so you could just have a look at the meltdown. And I tweeted a little bit about it as as well um, and pointed out the extent to which it really is starting to do the whole continuity remain thing. They really are going, I just seriously hope this doesn't happen, but they're giving every sign of being like those Japanese soldiers that were yeah, isolated on Pacific Islands. They're never going to let it go. And, you know, 20 years after the war is mm. over, they get captured and they refuse to acknowledge Emperor Hirohito's surrender. They, mm. they, they are going to be like the mad FBPE continuity remain people. And I really, really am disappointed in that 
because a country that's had 45 referendums plus several before federation as well it's only passed eight of the those eight of those 45 have passed at referendum which means the side that the yes side loses a lot yeah you know this is part of australian political culture you should know and understand this we are all taught this at school yeah but this you was have a vote. no reason not to know this if you're an aussie yeah but this was a vote between god and satan and the australian public overwhelmingly voted satan of course they're not going to let it go like for them this is a divine mission this is about equality this is about rights this is about this poor oppressed minority and they're not going to get any less oppressed but yeah exactly by the consequence of this vote it was right? more the last one it the poor oppressed minority yeah. that's another big but part all of these of are the same thing to them right these, yeah. this is a religious uh, duty see whereas a, a proper liberal understands that there is a difference between liberal rights mm. whether they come from states or they're natural it doesn't matter this is just how you conceive of, sure. of rights liberal rights are, are different things and they belong to individuals they don't belong to groups this is this is sort of very basic liberalism and so somehow those have been collapsed into these weird group rights mm-hmm. that are based on defining whether you are oppressed in some way the, the, and it is just such nonsense and the two traditions are actually contraindicated well the way that they do it is by um temporalizing liberalism um, because we talk about liberalism as kind of abstract thing that's kind of always existed and exists somewhere in the ether, but they say, no, liberalism is an outgrowth of essentially whiteness and white politics and white people. And therefore, when you say liberal egalitarian, that's one group, which are white, and then they've got their tribes and they're like, yeah, but you know, you're sitting on top of us like that. And it's that part was, of the intersectional hierarchy. Yes. Yeah. But it's specifically about temporalizing liberalism as a phenomenon of the white Australians. That's how they do it. Oh, well, yes, that's another thing that's probably, once again, not in these two pieces because I had to write them both very quickly. I had to, the Spectator's one, which ran on Sunday, was the day after the vote, and then Mm. I had to spend Monday writing the one for Tuesday for for, for the Tory graph. I haven't mentioned this at all in those two pieces, which are more explanatory. But Just no, it's related topics, racism. Like, why? Average conservative. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Um. Is uh, the um, I noticed about, and I'm I'm going to talk about what you've just raised in in the piece that I'm writing now, which is for Law and Liberty, because they're monthly long reads. I can do a more considered mm. reflection on the vote and fallout from it. About twenty years ago, I started to notice the language around Australia and Australia Day from Indigenous activists and mm. from their academic supporters came to resemble was started to come to resemble the language that I remembered encountering because I was one of those people who had to to do a compulsory post-colonial theory and literature subject as an Mm -hmm. undergraduate, for which I got a high distinction by lying through my teeth while stoned. That's how everyone passed it. Yeah. Well, uh, and it's... That language was very familiar to me because it was the way people like Edward Said or Franz Fanon, conceived of colonial powers and in Said's case specifically of Israel. Mm. So they'll start talking about Australia. They started to talk about Australia being occupied. Mm. They would refer to Australia Day as Invasion Day, mm-hmm. you know, which is the closest that they could yeah. come to Nakba, which is used by Palestinians. It means, means, catastrophe. means catastrophe in Arabic. Um, and so it's these movements that are contraindicated to liberalism are 
they are they come from a different intellectual tradition that is not liberalism that does not share liber, liberal values at all and when i say liberalism it doesn't share the benthamite or the the french style liberal values either they are complete, all whiteness uh, it's all completely different and very authoritarian um says the person coming from a country where you can literally die if you don't vote I mean, I, I like I just can't get past this. Yeah, I didn't want to vote. Okay, well now you got a fine. Well, I don't want to pay the fine. Now we're going to shoot you. Like, <laughs> seems reasonable. To no, me. you will finish. You will finish up in court. Yes. Yeah, but if you know, like, if you put up enough resistance to having to be forced to vote, they'll kill you eventually. And so it's just like, right, that's very interesting, <laughs> isn't it? How many? I mean, I didn't realize that Australian democracy was actually so dangerous. Uh, <laughs> Like uh, there's no there certain, there's no situation in Britain if I don't vote that I get shot. There are certain. <laughs> I bet people it, have died over it as well. There are certain things it does very well. Uh, back I, to the sorry, back hate... to, yeah, back to the point about sort of economists used to say uh, one of the things that used yeah. to be said was you couldn't centrally plan a immigration system, um, and the Australian response was not only to centrally plan an immigration system but a phenomenally successful one. Hmm. But then you get the state capacity issue. Britain or Canada want to copy it. Canada was more successful, although it's got problems now with blackface Trudeau, as I call him, because he's just not very competent. And the I mean, he was a drama teacher, so why elect a pretty drama teacher? Because politics about likability and not skill. As your prime minister, I mean, honestly, (laughs) one my mother, as my mother would say, one suspects that Justin Trudeau got elected prime minister of Canada because the the heterosexual female population in the country got a dose of hot thighs. Yes, that's what my mother. Now you just need to imagine that said in an Irish accent. That was my mother, (laughs) and it's totally true. But do we have to leave it there? I think we will have to, in the interest of time. But anyway, we shall move on because um, we have another topic that's going to be good fun, which is jihad. Because uh, it turns out jihad has many meanings. I didn't, I didn't think it had that many meanings, depending on the context. It seemed pretty clear what a crusade meant or a jihad. It's a but, nuanced thing. But the, the Metropolitan Police Force have been doing some scholarly research, and they have come to tell us that we're all wrong. We have all been reading the Quran wrong, and, and, and they are the true interpreters of Islam. Thank Christ. God bless the Metropolitan Police Force for its dedicated work. Well, that solves about 1,400 years of confusion, then, doesn't it? <laughs> you know? So, before we begin, I'm just going to mention something on thoseis.com. This being the lads hour where we just kind of um, have fun, which yeah. uh, is always good fun. This one about your ideal holiday, so do go and enjoy that. Yeah, and that one had Lord Miles on it, so you can imagine what his ideal holiday was. Somalia. <laughs> holiday in Cambodia. Basically, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop now. No, that's great. But anyway, um, the thing that's been continuing to happen, I thought this would have gone on for a week and then would have died, the whole Israel-Gaza protests, which I, like, okay, whatever, why are you in the West? Just stop. I mean, mm. I like Tim's poor response to all of this. Colonizers complaining about colonizers. Well, this is the thing. They yeah. only pay attention to European colonialism, this whole post-colonialism and decolonization movement. They forget that the people who used to live in the part of the world where they do, um, alongside or even before the Jews, were not Arabs. No, but they even were Greek. We, they were these people in America are uh, not indigenous either. <laughs> nor are the ones in London, nor are the ones in yeah. Paris, nor are the ones in Germany, nor are the ones that, I could go on. But the, no, the whole point of this, though, is they treat that we're being liberal critics here saying, but you don't treat colonizers in the same way. And yes, that's a good gag for from Tim, mm. all these colonizers screaming about colonizers for someone who understands that liberalism is about 
treating like cases alike. It's a rule of law thing that goes back to classical to to the Romans. It's a Roman law point. So, but the thing is, so we think, well, you're all colonizers. Uh, You know, we're all colonizers. Just get off your bike and get off your high horse and just accept that we're all the same. But the point is, these people genuinely think that their kind of colonization, which they wouldn't even call that, they've got another name for it, is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And our kind of colonization is the bad sort. Yeah. They deliberately want like cases treated differently. That you are dealing with the anti-rule of law here. Yeah, I think they've got a good point. Our colonization good, their colonization bad. Now what? That's the way it used to work, but now we live in the West, in which we have to deal with, well, that liberalism going to its end goal, which is the police now siding with the idea that their colonization good, ours bad. And the Metropolitan Police, who decided to give their Twitter account to a member of Hamas, I presume, because I don't know what the hell else they were doing during all this. And they, they did a various number of tweets, and this one here, the word jihad has a number <laughs> of meanings. But we know the public will most commonly associate it with terrorism. Because they're racist. We have specialty counterterrorism officers here in the operations room uh, from, from uh, Al-Qaeda. They're nice guys. Anyway, they've, uh, they've got particular knowledge in this area because they've worked with Al-Qaeda. Uh, they have assessed in this video, filmed at the Hisbatiria protest in central London today, People wondering what the hell that is. That's that's this here. The guys with the Muslim armies are going to rescue the people of Palestine banner. His and he career, was just shouting jihad, jihad, jihad yeah. over and over and over again. He is indeed. Um, his patria are banned in many Muslim countries because their number one goal is to reform the caliphate by force. And um, yeah, that will get you banned from a number of Muslim countries. But Muslim countries such as England uh, do not ban such speech. Instead, apparently, we have the Metropolitan Police come out and defend them. I love how they're equivocating on this. If you come out and say something that even comes close to being racist, that's it, you're going to jail. But if someone's talking about jihad, they're like, okay, well, we need to talk about the kinds of jihad they're calling for. Yeah, they go on to recognize... I have to say that, and probably because I played a small role in it appearing there, the Metropolitan Police getting community noted I know, it's lovely, is just it? so John Peel. Yeah. The police yeah, yeah, are the public yeah. and the public are the police. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, exactly that's a great what way it of is. framing it, actually. But yes, yeah. I am one of the writers of community notes on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I am one of those people. Excellent. Um, I write them in um, English and Italian, and I rate them in English, Italian, French, and mm. Arabic. The Arabic one's going to be increasingly useful. Well, no, they, I think they would like me to write in Arabic, but my Arabic's not good enough. I can read it, but I, I make mistakes. This is the problem. When you live in a place for a few months, you learn to speak it and you learn to read it, but you, can't, you don't learn to write it. That takes longer. But the police didn't just decide to tweet that this man screaming jihad at the Hizbatiya rally was just a humble Muslim man. I, I don't know what your uh, problem is. Uh, they decided to go on to defend... The local community activist, I believe is how they're called. Of course. They, they made a big old post where they're just like, well, updating everyone on the policing of that protest. And it's like, well, you know, they asked for it. And we, uh, the man could be seen chanting jihad, jihad. But it has a number of meanings. And we know the public are a bit confused. <laughs> I just... And then they, they just go on. They also banner saying Muslim armies. But that's number a number of meanings. Of meanings. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what it could mean? <laughs> exactly. And, um, well, they also went on to defend the Al-Qaeda flag oh, for really? some reason. This is the Metropolitan Police here being like, you know, here's some pictures. Uh, people saying, you know, they've got ISIS flags. And the Metropolitan Police being like, wow, this, this tweet has been deleted. Uh, there's not the flag of ISIS. 
It's just the Shahada, which is the Declaration of Faith in Islam. But it's not the flag of Al Qaeda. It is indeed the flag. It's of also it also to be, <laughs> the, to the be fl- fair. It's also the flag of Saudi Arabia. Well, I mean, quite. literally, no, there no, no. used to be people who said that the only reason Saudi Arabia was our friend was because they had the Shahada on their flag in nice calligraphy rather than shit calligraphy. The evil one. Yeah, <laughs> but there is a difference because the. Uh, Saudi flag is green for one. Seems like a mild difference, I'll be honest. Yeah. But then number two, it has the the Saudi sword. Ah, but the, yes. the, the black flag has connotations in Islam. Yeah. Not right. only that, right. but the specific calligraphy here. Uh, some uh, enterprising chap did actually respond somewhere down here and made the point. Here's the flag on the like Saudi shahada or whatever else. Yeah. And then the Al Qaeda flag specifically, they have stylized these letters. Yes. And so you can tell it's the Al-Qaeda one that yes. this chap is oh, holding. That is true. They do look different. Just to be clear, Al-Qaeda are the group responsible for 9-11, aren't they? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the British police are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Calm down. Come on. They're good boys. They're, they're just, just humble Muslims. I don't know what your problem is. Calm down, dear. It's local community <laughs> activists. So a lot of people um, notice. The and the 7-7 police. bombings as well. Uh, had, had signed up to bomb their own city in future, presumably. As they defend that totally, it's not an ISIS flag. It's a big difference. Yeah, they were the ones. The seven seven bombings yeah. were pretty sure they were. Were they Al Qaeda? I'm pretty sure they were they... claimed. I remember them being. So. Yeah, because that was before yeah. ISIS were a thing. Yes, yeah. so. just just actual terrorist group. That's all. And you can see a lot of people were a bit miffed. There's quite a lot of comments. You're like, "What the hell's wrong with you?" There's some good footage here. We'll get back to it in a minute, but. Um, someone who was funnier, in my view, has to be this. Oh, he's hidden his post. Oh, my old buddy Adil Ray. Adil Ray. Did you not screenshot it, you rotter? It's, uh, oh. I think it's just because you're viewing this account. It can't be done. But Adil Ray made a big post where like, he said, uh, Jihad has many meanings. Right. In, in this context of standing next to a flag of Al-Qaeda at a big banner that says Muslim armies. And death to all Jews. <laughs> it simply means... Uh, a force for positive good in the world. Uh, it's a struggle. <laughs> it means social evil. justice. <laughs> so this guy made a pretty good meme. It's just like, Adol Ray's Mind Jihad. Look now at all good stores. It simply means by struggle against evil and colonialism. Someone's got that really good gothic font. Yeah. And they decided to whip it out and have fun with it. <laughs> this account here, you should follow, trust me. Yeah, he's, he's just a riot. Drugs, great. <laughs> he's funny. So there's that. But this uh, this wasn't just with us, of course. You can see here in Amsterdam, there are Taliban and Al-Qaeda flags as well. Oh, just. Just Taliban and Al-Qaeda flags on the streets of Amsterdam. I mean, one of those groups is bad. And uh, you can see that it's all over the West, it seems. Uh, in fact, in Berlin, they had to corner off the Holocaust Memorial because they just um, <laughs> didn't trust the local community. To not piss on it. Yeah. Worse. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even sure they would know what that is, to be honest. Because of the Holocaust Memorial. Well, in the one in Berlin strange. is weird. Yeah, they haven't done it very well. The the, be, the ones in Poland tend to be better, or that they were. Um, I've where actually, they were... I've actually been to this. Um, it's actually quite interesting to walk around because it does give you this kind of dead feeling of being in because nothing's straight, right? Nothing's like well aligned, yeah. and it tends to start looming over you. So it actually conveys a feeling quite well, to be honest. Right. Okay. You just have yes. to go into it to understand why. Whole other conversation, but uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately think Holocaust. I'm not sure the local community activist was would either. But if they did, there's a reason that was blocked off. But this isn't the the funniest thing I saw in relation to all of this. ITV decided to uh, update the broadcast ecology by uh, interviewing a local Muslim woman who is so disappointed at how these protests and the response has turned out. Um, because now, oh, how could she live as a Muslim in the West without being considered a terrorist? Awful that people think such things. So let's see it in our own words. 
and then also what she does in her spare time. I've been called a terrorist. I've been asked to go back home. I've had people in their cars making threatening gestures. For people like Latifa Abu Chakra, a British-Palestinian living in London, just going about her daily business doesn't feel safe. It makes me feel that as a Muslim woman in this country, no matter how hard I work, no matter how good I can be, it will never be enough because apparently Muslims and Palestinians are inherently terrorists according to the system here, according to the narrative of the media and according to the narrative of the of the politicians. This is what she does as in spare time. As fragile as a spider's web, the Zionist entity is shaking with fear. In an early morning shock, Palestinian resistance factions <laughs> from Gaza launched an And of course Twitter found this in approximately 30 seconds being... First, Twitter. Yeah, people listening, I don't know how loud it is. She's literally celebrating the footage of the guys on the paragliders who mm. went and killed all those civilians. And, and I love then, the framing. Just armed fighters from the resistance movement. Yes, and then the next day she goes on ITV to talk about how oh, they think we're all terrorist-supporting Muslims. But me, a terrorist-supporting Muslim, was just going about my business. And then people say such things. I'm afraid the only response to that is if the cap fits, wear it. I, and, and ITV put her on for the normies to watch at home. Because the I mean, media narrative in this country is so against Muslims. Irritatingly, you are right that, of course, Twitter found it in 30 seconds. We're just like, are you actually retarded? Mm. To ITV news here. But then you have the normies at home watching that being, oh, isn't it terrible? Islamophobia is on the rise. They have no idea that the person they've just seen on their TV is actually a terrorist supporter. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. A lot of normies to, hate. Honestly, <laughs> Callum, this is, this is something that I can propound on a bit because I've done the ad advertising agency thing. It is actually incredibly difficult to change people's minds with media. It really, 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 really is. Which is why they do the same narrative every day for years. Uh, it's why bombarding Australians with the voice, hmm. if anything, it turned them off it even more. I, th I think it depends on the subject, right? Because if it's something about deeply held, ingrained beliefs and prejudices, yes. But if it's something they don't really care about or know about, probably easily done. But definitely every, sure, time been, every time it's been put to the test, media effects theory is one of those ones that fails to, it really, really fails to, to show any significance. There's even been attempts to do research on the work, uh, the effect of radio in both Nazi Germany, because we've got very good records of which parts of the country had access to the Volksende, the new radio, the cheap radio that Goebbels made available, and also the role of radio in the Rwandan genocide. Mm -hmm. And it does seem that in a totalitarian state, where the central authority can exclude all other voices and only have, and it's particularly radio. Radio is much worse than television for some reason. Hmm. Um, and so stuff without pictures. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining what the TV is like, we should kill all the Tootsies. Nah, the radio says it. <sighs> Gotta go. Well, that, what it is, um, the, is that, first of all, the, the findings is that radio does play a role. It can change people's minds, um, but they have to be, have, psychological proclivities in that direction already and it tends to only work in totalitarian states the other the reason television is a lousy recruiting sergeant for um genocide is basically because human beings evolved to see each other's faces mm -hmm. so when you can see the person's face on television your your face is just far you're more revealing of you than just your voice yeah. um 
And that's why you had that situation when we all only had three TV channels in both the UK and the US, where you had that incredible political convergence where all the parties all seemed to be exactly the same and countries, the societies were very homogenous. Part of that was actually a byproduct of, of television. Hmm. Um, it drags people to the centre, whereas radio and just generally text-based media drive people to the extremes. And when you say text-based media, I mean, Niall Ferguson, the historians, made this point. You're not just talking about radio. One of the reasons for the walls of religion wasn't the only reason, but a significant part of the reason Hmm. was the fact that everybody could disseminate their shit sheets about everybody else thanks to the printing press, all the rotten things that the Protestants and Catholics are doing this week. Hmm. Well, they're certainly continuing. But I I do (laughs) hope the ITV made this attempt here. And uh, I'm just going to play a little bit because I did see on GB News they decided to respond to this whole question of whether jihad means simply uh, internal struggle. And uh, this chap, I think, has it right. because Well, the greater jihad does. Well, if you substitute Adol Ray's speech into where they use jihad, suddenly it makes a lot more sense. Made in, in the first articles about this, about the, mm. the word has different meanings, like pair and pair, but obviously with far worse consequences. And he says it can mean um, struggle. So a Muslim spiritual struggle to avoid sin and be a better human. So I thought, let's put that in context, Uh. replace the word with that and see if it works. So in one clip, taken outside the Egyptian embassy, a speaker says, what is the solution to liberate people from the concentration camps called Palestine? The mob says, struggle to avoid sin and be a better human and avoid evil. It's It's good. It's like the consolations of philosophy, you know, or Marcus Aurelius meditation. So I thought that further on, there's another clip. Let's put it in there, see if it works. Uh, The mob says, uh, the second clip, the only solution is jihad by the armies of the Muslim countries. Hmm. So that's the only solution is the struggle to avoid sin and be a better human by the armies of the Muslim. I'm saying it possibly. I think he's quite right. (laughs) Great point. How could that possibly be misinterpreted? That the police are obviously correct, which is why Bing AI also won't allow you to even look up the word jihad. You type it in now, you get a content warning. Your prompt has been blocked because uh, maybe a conflict with our content policy, the word jihad. Can I just say that AI this is the most overrated wibble I have ever seen? It is now in the same way that, like, you know, the Sony Walkman or Discman was the most overrated thing because it kept skipping. But in 20 years' time, it's, it's going to be so advanced that you won't even think about it. Because at the moment, well, right it's, now it's just blocked. a joke. And at the moment, you're blocked. Yay! Can't even do But so. eventually... But I love this, uh, this whole situation because some people started making jokes where it's like, I'm just as English as you. I occasionally drink tea and eat shepherd's pie. But anyway, let me explain to you why jihad is absolutely fine, you gammon bigots. And the thing is, yes, there's Adol Ray playing the stereotypical Pakistani man. No, but that's also the Metropolitan Police. Yes, standing there telling you why you have the wrong interpretation will, of Islam. To give them su- some credit, I mean, there were some British Muslims underneath that ridiculous Met tweet, pointing out some of them in, were doing it in Arabic as well. No, 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 no. If it is that organisation, yeah, a yeah, lot of Muslims yeah. really don't like his Bataria. They might be quite Reason conservative. That if it is that organisation using it in that way, it means war. Yes. It means the war version. Yes. Well, and everyone knows this, and it's just an excuse. Because uh, my partner Famous. made the point, are those people tweeting at the, at the Met in Arabic? And I'm going, yes, they are. And she's, she just says, and they're disagreeing. And I'm going, yes, the Met is trying to teach Muslims their own theology. It's quite entertaining. <laughs> but that's actually how we live. And I don't know if you saw, Rishi Sunak came out and was like, hang on, maybe I should try and stop the police trying to be Islamic scholars. And uh, Dominic Cummings just started laughing at this, being like, you know, the government doesn't actually control the government. 
you couldn't do it even if you wanted to. So this seems to be the case, though, because I saw an interview, and this is the most popular podcast in the UK. This is uh, the news agents here, which is trash. We've been over there before. But they decided to have some guy on. He's the ex-Greater Manchester Police Chief to talk about this. And his answers are just kind of horrific when you realise, oh, God, they're serious, aren't they? You heard the chant, Jihad. Would you hear that in the context of the march on Saturday as an incitement of hatred or violence? Well, I think to be fair to the Metropolitan Police, before the protest, they tried to give clear direction, not only to their officers, but also to the, you know, to the public and the community about how they'd interpret that. Uh, and, that and they're absolutely be doing that, uh, for instance, around a mosque or a Jewish school. Uh, and, it, you know, in that context, it, it appears to be very much incitement to violence, incitement to hatred. Uh, then absolutely, you know, the law should be enforced. But not on but a march. Get... Well, I think in a march, it's far more complex as to what does that word mean? Um, you know, and there's been a lot of debate amongst academics and scholars and, uh, uh, you know, religious leaders even this morning about what that word can mean to different people. And that's the difficulty because the officer has to look at the context in that case. Um, and then, we'll, you know, if they make an arrest, we'll have to see what the person who made that chant themselves was actually intending oh. and, and the context. Oh. Now, now, okay, you may, you may be in a giant group of... Can I just say... Hang on, hang on. You may, you may be in a giant group of Muslims chanting jihad, but now Emily you're just Mathis an individual. Emily at least willing to put him on the spot quite nicely. Brilliant, but like small... A bit of what yeah. does jihad mean, officer? Yeah. Well, it's very complex if you want to scholars. The individ- and, no, no, it it depends what the individual in that mob means. They left the camera on her as she was twiddling her hair, yeah. which I thought worked quite well. But you're so right. Imagine getting arrested after calling for jihad, and then you're like, I meant internal struggle against the IDF. Yeah. I, I meant I meant some spiritual prayer against the IDF. <laughs> I, I mean, did you did you get off? Because that guy seems to think you get off, and he used to be the Greater Manchester Police Chief. So the people writing those tweets, I'm sorry, but they are sincere. They are sincerely this lunatic at this point. And to end this off, because we don't have time to go through all of this, I'm just going to end off with GB News reporting that the Met Police decided to come out because they actually have had been asked. What the fuck is wrong with you? And their response is that, well, actually, we've been ruthless, absolutely ruthless at cracking down on people calling for such things. Uh, they're quoted in here saying that they've been uh, cracking down on people calling for jihad. Trust us, bro. But we all saw the footage. We all saw your statements. And we've seen the effects. How many people got arrested? Uh, well, he and says a number. this is the classic thing. <clears throat> One, when he's asked for... A number. Um, oh, he says those laws should be toughened up. Yeah. Okay. I have periodically, I have not just worked for the dark side. I have been on the other side where the police are often the enemy. This is in my legal experience. And the very important thing to remember is that woke police are still police. They still like more laws to belt people over the head with. Mm. And they still like the opportunity to protect their mates. Yeah. And apparently teach us all. I mean, I, I am... A law and auditory, pro-police, pro-policing. But as soon as you have an organisation of that type, they will ca- take certain institutions, they will have certain institutional traits, one of which is protect self-protection, yeah. and the other one is as many laws as possible to build people over the head with. That is just the way cops are. Mm. And you just have to take that as part of policing but you still need the police. This is the thing. But you just have to accept that that is a real thing that exists. So this is, this is also 
prestidigitation. It really is. Mm -hmm. Well, there we are. Um, turns out jihad means many things. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can go and ask your local Bobby, and he'll uh, he'll recite to you forty-seven verses, and then you'll fully understand. Let's move on. Okay. Um, right. Well, I don't know anything about Argentinian politics. Do you guys know anything about it? Not really. No. No. All I know that. Argentina is uh, a South American country, and of course, South America is polluted heavily by socialism. And it seems that Argentina has been feeling the effect of this. Uh, do we consider Argentina to be a Western country? It's not a white one. That's a very bold statement, considering their census. I don't care. It pisses them off. No, they won the full well, it, it's, uh, originally, it was a Spanish colony. Sure. Spanish-speaking. It's famous for tango. That's yep. Yeah. Famous for losing wars over islands. Losing wars yeah. over, over, over islands. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and it went through the same period that, well, the South Americans always seem to be doing it, but there was a period there where every single South American country had a junta of one sort yes. or another. Oh, they, they and they were run by these generals who yeah. were just covered in scrambled egg, yeah, who really yeah. who don't realise that, are not self-aware, so they don't realise that they might think they look like big men in their own country, but to yeah. every other country they look like drag queens because of all the scrambled eggs. Well, you, you, you've got to understand, like Argentina in 1955 had their uh, Hitler-loving uh, elected leader overthrown by a military junta. So, I mean, who's who's right or wrong there, right? Who knows? Mm -hmm. But um, but the, the, I, I raise the question, is Argentina a part of the West? Because Western societies are, of course, struggling to survive. And the question that Stelios is answering with Professor Benedict Beckeld and David J. Thunder is whether we're doomed or not. And you should go and watch that to find out what the answer is. Um, I think it might well be yes, though. Um, so this happened a few years ago, when, in which Argentina's peronously... So the, the Hitler-loving uh, socialist light leader of Argentina was called Peron. And so they have a faction called the Peronists. And they're the left-wingers in Argentina. Uh, and so Alberto Fernandez was sworn in as president four years ago. And uh, this, as The Guardian reports, marks a, marks a return of Argentina's powerful left-leaning Peronists. Did you, they, they say left-leaning and left-wing a lot when talking about these guys. So you can tell that this is them marking, these are the goodies. These are the good guys. So, right, that's very interesting. It's a very complex thing that I'm not going to go into. And if you're from Argentina, please feel free to... Yeah, I'm not feel free to... sure you can call, and I'm sure you will get some people from the country saying this, South American politics does not do left-right in quite the same way. No, Except not Except maybe yeah. Chile, but the other countries, it's yeah. very different. Yeah, so it's they, they are left-wing because they're kind of old-school left, economically populist left, should we say. And so a lot of Argentinian politics, as we'll get into in a minute, is literally just robbing corporations to redistribute to a bunch of people who don't have jobs. Which, I mean, it's not entirely different to ours. Um, frankly. I did wonder where their inflation rate came from. Well, yeah, let's get on to that, in fact. So under this uh, president, um, as you can see, Argentina is coming up to a new election. And so the successor candidate is uh, Sergio Massa. And he is the current Argentina's economy minister and presidential candidate. Uh, and so he's like, right, we're just going to start buying votes. Uh, unofficially, that is, uh, because the government was just going to give informal workers two welfare checks, totaling about $268 in October and November. Uh, so they're just going to literally start printing money and handing So have they had their election? or uh, they, they have, but we'll get to it in a minute. All right, okay. Uh, and so they, this, of course helped devalue the currency. Argentinian inflation in August was running 124%. And they're like, yeah, so just... Brrr. 
I was just looking at the numbers. Boats Money, Printago. It gets worse, right? It gets worse, right? So this this was in the run-up to the August 13th primary vote. Uh, and of course, they're paying for this, quote-unquote, by just uh, taxing the hell out of corporations. So it's like, right, so everyone's wages are going to stagnate. All the things are going to get more expensive. The money's going to be worth less. And you're going to have some of it in your bank account for a very short amount of time. Being governed brilliantly. So, enter this guy. The hero we deserve. <laughs> have, uh, Helen, what, what flag is that? That's the cut the ANCAP colours. That's correct. And the symbol is uh, the half the two half moons, yeah. one black and one B B yellow. It's the ANCAP. Symbol. Yes, yes. Um, if we go back up, Javier uh, Millet, El General ANCAP. I don't need to be able to speak Spanish to know what that means. Yep. Um, this is Javier Millet. <laughs> this is the savior of Argentina. It looks like um, because I mean he is. There's something about South American and sort of Spanish world politics I find intrinsically hilarious, right? It's not just the accent. The accent's funny, especially when they're yelling about stuff, right? It's also the kind of Latin exuberance they express when they're doing things. Like Donald Trump had his funny hand gestures, right? But these guys are just like full body. They're Donald like, Trump multiplied right? by, yeah. by two, you know, Donald Trump to the power of 10. But yeah, exactly. It's like radical politics with the sort of Latin lack of self-awareness. Well, that's why right? they covered their generals with scrambled egg and made them look like drag Exactly. Queens. That's why they look fabulous, right? But this, and so General Ancap here uh, has marched in and he's like, listen. And so, I mean, just before we go on, this guy was a professor of economics. <laughs> oh, he looks like one. And sex cult leader. Uh, and, uh, and so he's got some op opinions about tax, of course. I mean, he's decided that literally taxing people and printing out money, tax is a theft, as you can see there. Uh, JVM Millet, economista. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, it's, it's fairly low-level um, intellectual arguments, really. It's just basically like, look, if you tax my money and steal it and take it and give it to other people, that's theft. I, I mean, I'm sympathetic. Yeah, don't, don't just do that. And so, uh, you know, you've seen this video probably where he's like, look, I actually hate the government more than anything. Uh, famous His ministry out. Yeah. Ministry of Women and Gender Diversity out. So and, and I'm all in favor of this. It's like, great, great. Here's, here's a guy who's literally just going to deconstruct the administrative state on day one, pretty much. Uh, and so, as you can see, he's actually a maniac. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You're not gonna get dinged by YouTube for this massively with all of that. Maybe swear can I, words. Can I, where's the mouse gone, John? Can we put the sound on this? There we go. Sordos hijo de puta ahí tienen. Las pelotas voy a pedir Estado. El Estado metete en el orto, la concha puta de tu madre. ¿Sabes qué? Me lo paso por el orto el Estado. Toma. ¿Sabes qué es esto, hijo de puta? ¿Sabes qué es? La bandera anarcocapitalista. ¿Sí? La bandera de los liberales libertarios. El amarillo tiene que ver con la capacidad de generar riqueza, es decir, el oro. ¿Sí? Y el negro tiene que ver con la anarquía. Okay, we'll, we'll leave him there because I think you get the message. I want to hear his points on anarchy. <laughs> yeah, uh, like he's, he's a maniac, 
and I love it. Uh, and, and again, like following in this in the steps of sort of Bolsonaro. Sometimes types. politics should just be funny. Well, yeah, like th- genuinely hilarious and not in any way reserved about what the issues are, right? And so when he took uh, the shock lead in the Argentinian August oh, primary, gosh, former tantric sex coach, one of those. Mm, mm. Just, it gets better. Yeah, he he likes Donald Trump and thinks the climate cli- climate crisis is a socialist lie. Uh, that's an interesting perspective that he has. Um, he also wants to um, do away with Argentina's public health and education systems, disband the central bank, dollarize the economy, allow people to sell their organs. He won a landslide in the primaries. Uh, <laughs> some people have organs. Some people need organs. The free market will provide. Uh, this uh, he he took thirty percent of the vote in this, whereas he. <laughs> The the hard right, he's not even the hard right candidate. (laughs) No, no, this is another example of people not understanding politics. Yeah, this is And perhaps are just not anywhere. They're just their own little discreet weird thing. Honestly, they're a kind of form of leftist, just one that has a different view on the administrative state. But anyway. The, the hard right candidate was Patricia Buller, Bullrinch for United for Change, who got 28% in second place. And then you've got the Peronist candidate, the status quo candidate, Sergio Massa, who got 27%, despite having every power structure in the country behind him, right? Now, you can see why the fans of this are having fun with AI generation. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, this is great. I love meme elections, man. I love meme elections. Uh, he also has some great statements. Like he's he's gone against the Pope because he calls the Pope quote a raging communist. Uh, the quote is an effing communist, the representative of the evil one on the earth for promoting social justice. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with absolutely everything he's saying. He's- there's another funny aspect of this though, which is that Argentina could have been a superpower, and there's a period just before it goes all kind of wrong. Yeah. Which, if they just had more people, they could have rivaled the United States. No, it wasn't even didn't. that. They made, uh, and, and the country that it's always timelined with because of the beef um, is Australia. Mm. And basically, the, the two countries were really similar, both being held up as the wealthiest, per, highest income per capita in the world and so on and so forth. I think it might have been mm. some period in the 20s. And basically, they diverged and Argentina went down the very, very state controlled, very strong government intervention in the economony and so on and so forth, and Australia went free market. I mean, that's a very generous way of saying what Argentina's done with the economy. Well, yes, they were also printing money and completely mad. They went completely mad. Well, no, not in that long, but like he's not wrong to say it's basically just theft, because it is basically just theft. The reason I bring it up is is not to say, like, ha, funny history. There's a lot of fan fiction about Argentina as a result. This Mm. is why I think, to be honest, why in Starship Troopers Ended up having in being Buenos, Buenos Aires, Aires. Yeah. yeah, because there's a lot of theories like, oh, maybe Argentina will rise up after a nuclear war and take over the world or something. Because they've got so idea. many natural advantages. Yeah. So I love the idea of this lunatic taking over and yeah. actually becoming successful. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's pledged to wage a quote cultural battle to transform Argentina into a libertarian paradise, which sounds great. And he's repeatedly trolled Pope Francis with repetitive toxic tweets, calling him a communist turd a piece of S and accusing him of preaching communism to the world, which is exactly what I tweet at the Pope as well. Yeah, um, but the thing is the Pope is Spanish speaking and this guy yeah. is Spanish speaking, yeah. so they can do it to each other yeah. in Spanish. And the English speaking world has missed out on this gem, frankly. Uh, so, And you, you'll notice that I'm using Guardian articles 
because they use just the worst images on. Yeah, because I want I want all of our knowledge of this guy to come from the left because so far they've made him sound absolutely brilliant. So far, I I want three of him in every country running every state in enterprise. Um, so as the eve of the polls, uh, the the eve of the latest election, the polls had him in the lead, and they were like, well. I mean, look at the bad and dangerous. Look, just try and be a little more subtle with the emotional manipulation. The bad and dangerous. Look at this angry face. Yeah, okay. I know you don't like him. You know, I think he's great. <laughs> Entertaining, if nothing else. Yeah, um, but yes, they're just much more vigorous yeah. than Western. You know, like Trump is the most, or or Boris Johnson were about as demonstrative as you're going to get yes. in a in a Anglosphere. Uh, politician and, and or Macron in France, and he's more de- because he's French. He's more demonstrative than our people are, mm. but he's still very restrained compared oh, yeah. to anyone in South America. Yeah. So th- this guy was an economics professor for many years, and I then, wonder. I bet he entertained his students. Uh, well, he he ended up going on national TV, um, and he was just really funny on national TV. And then years of practice on his students. And in 2021, he formed this new party. Uh, the insane libertarian party, and in two, in two, and dressed up in a bee suit. <laughs> but in two, no, it's not even a bee suit. In two years, he has um, become leading in the polls. That shows you the extent of the problem in Argentina, right? Like this sort of thing doesn't happen unless it's a, a fertile ground and a good reason for it to come up. Uh, because apparently, I mean, forty percent of Argentina's citizens are living in poverty amid triple-digit inflation and things like this. And so this this mad ANCAP is just like, yeah, okay, we're just going to abolish the state, abolish taxes, and everyone's going to have to work for a living. Also, you can sell your organs. Like, okay. <laughs> so what's interesting, though, is how is the split, right? So the third contender, the Patricia Bullringe, apparently she's a hard conservative, and she thinks that he's got bad and dangerous ideas as well. So you can see the left are like, eee, and the right are like, eee. And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> They're your organs. Why can't you tell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my body, my choice. Um, they're worried that many disillusioned young Argentinians consider him a savior or messiah. And uh, why not? So anyway, I thought we'd have a look at uh, what's what's how elections work in Argentina. Now, Argentina does have many parallels to Australia, as in you can be killed if you don't vote in Argentina. Um, which, again, very democratic. Uh, to win the presidency, the candidate needs 45% of the vote, or 40 plus a 10-point lead over the closest competitor. So, And if you don't get that, you go to runoff elections, similar to something in France. Yep. Uh, and so uh, it was predicted that uh, Malay will face uh, Massa, but of course Massa came third. He was doing very badly. Uh, and so they talk about some of the problems that Argentina is facing. Uh, the economy, which is presumably an eternal Argentinian problem. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, the it, by the end of 2023, JP Morgan are postulating a 210% inflation rate in Argentina. Uh, the central bank forecasts only 180%. It's going so brilliantly. Thank God the uh, econ- finance minister is just per- churning out the money in order to buy the votes. I do love that though. Even when your economy is that bad, you're measuring the inflation in the hundred and something percents. The central bank still has to lie and be like, trust me, bro, it's only 180, only 180. Yeah. Not 200. Yeah. So there, there is actually a very strong argument to vote for the absolute lunatic, right? There's actually a really good... Occasionally, look, this has happened in more stable democracies than the South American ones. Remember when uh, one of the councils, I think it was up in uh, Newcastle, might have been Sheffield, I'm not sure, elected a penguin instead of the Liberal Democrat 
well, you know, an actual penguin. There have been instances. Yeah, uh, there have been instances where um, Australians have like elected a stuffed toy to the local yeah. council or done the none of the above thing and voided the election. Sure. This we will send a clown to Congress or to the Parliament. Um, he's only renting the seat for five years or two years or three sure, that, years that, or however long. That's predicated on a well-governed country, right? But we're doing this because we're sick of your... Yeah. People the, are allowed to do that. But this guy actually is a remedy to a genuinely dire problem that they are actually having. And it's just really funny how it comes in the general ANCAP costume. Yeah. Well, I just The main one there of just being, what if we just use the US dollar? Then you idiots can't inflate it. Yeah. The idiots in Washington will, but no one are as bad as yeah. you guys. But also, I'm just going to basically abolish the government. It's like, okay. I mean, like, I'm listening. You've got my vote. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but he's not very polite. It's like, no, I like that about him as well. Um, I mean, he's just got some brilliant quotes. Uh, we'll, we'll, but we'll go on, right? So he fails to win the first round of the presidential election. Now, far be it from me to imply that a South American country that may have been ruled by dictators for some time might not have the freest and fairest elections in the world. But I'm told by YouTube they do. Yeah, exactly. No, actually, YouTube does say I'm allowed to question that for now, but I'm not questioning that. For now. <laughs> I'm not questioning that. Um, because what's interesting is the uh, the status quo party who have ruined everything in the country uh, got 36.6% of the votes. Remember they got 27%? So it's a nine, nearly ten point increase on what they got in the in the primary, which is really weird. That's really odd, isn't it? It's just weird how suddenly ten percent, like, yeah, no, I like inflation and a lack of opportunities. Actually, I think the, the governing party is doing a great job. Um, he uh, Malay Malay, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, he got twenty nine point nine percent, and Patricia Bullrinch got twenty three point eight percent, and so. Uh, Javier, Javier, I don't know how to pronounce it, comes out and says, look, we need to decide whether we're going to make Argentina a power again or turn ourselves into the biggest shantytown on earth. And it turns out the Argentinians like, shantytown, please. Although there's presumably an election next month then. Yes, well, there's going to be a runoff election in November. Does he have um, a chance? Well, yeah, because it's well, just... The, uh, yeah, he does, because it's only two of them, and the, yeah. uh, the candidate that got knocked out was the centre-right candidate. Uh, well, they get, are they necessarily going to vote for the Peronist? That's what you have to. Which way will they break that group yeah, of people? That's, that's, that's the, the guts of it. Now, that's how. Yeah. That's how runoffs happen in France. Yes. That's now, exactly I, what they. I do. don't know what the mood of the electorate in Argentina is. I don't know whether this guy is so far out in whichever direction that the conservatives are like no, we'll just vote for economic inflation. It's you know we'll just vote for the liquidation of our economy. We're not going to vote for this guy because I mean like the the Massa's campaign poster uh, literally <laughs> just literally says, "Are you seriously going to vote for him?" <laughs> and thirty percent of the country are like yes. yes. <laughs> well, this is this is, don't yeah. challenge me. I, I am somewhat optimistic, though, because as you mentioned, the extremities of South American politics are just kind of weird sometimes. I mean, like the lady who was elected to the extremities. Chilean... This is guy's mainstream. What are you talking about? Yeah, but that's what I mean. I mean, the lady, who, I can't remember exactly. I think she was elected to the Chilean Senate. She was only elected because she turned up in a Pikachu costume. And <laughs> yeah. that became really funny. And then she turned up to ratify the new leftist constitution in her Pikachu costume. And then the whole electorate were just like, actually, no, you're not funny. Out. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you just yeah, there's a joke, there's a joke, and then it's not a joke anymore, yeah. and it's not funny. Yeah. But but yeah. this guy's not a joke actually. He's hilarious, but he actually knows what he's talking about because he's a, he's an economist, and he actually commands a very significant proportion of the vote to the point where the the powers that be are bricking it because they think he's going to win, and it may well be that the majority of this twenty three percent. Uh, the votes conservative will go with him because I mean, what are the options really, right? So who knows? I like I said, I have no idea, no predictions or anything like that. I just think this is really funny. And so he had to come out and um, he gave a, a speech saying, "Well, look, because it looked like they were going to win, and they didn't." It's really weird that again, ten percent up, just you know, nice F curve you've got going there, bro. But I don't know, no idea, right? Uh, and so he, he just goes out, and it's a bit of a sort of um, uh, so we've got to wait and see, basically. So his supporters were a bit deflated. So they expected this stonking win, which they didn't get. But he does make a point that, I mean, they've only been doing this for two years. And this is how far they've got after two years. Um, this is the best libertarian campaign in the history of Argentina, which is a good start for Argentina, I would say. Uh, and it's not over. And so who knows? So basically, um, we'll find out what the runoff election in November brings but uh, i just want to say he's he's doing surprisingly well and he's really really funny and of course he you know supports trump bolsonaro all of the other dissident types um there's a lot more to say on it but i think we're running out of time so i'll, uh, I'll leave it there all right let's go to the uh, video comments had all these boxes full of books for dallas fan festival and now all that's left doesn't even fill these two suitcases. And I've got plenty for Cincinnati, Sin City Con next weekend. So find me Sin City Con in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, good job, Craig. Nice sponsorship. Um, yeah. The next one, I suppose. Nope, there isn't one. All right, we're going to do the written comments on the site instead. Uh, George says So GB News prevented Calvin Robinson from. Uh, there is one more. Oh, sorry, okay. Okay, guys, it's time to shill in your general direction. Welcome to the many worlds of Saril, tabletop role-playing where everyone has their turn at the same time. This game's had four years of beta testing and refinement. Now it's ready to go out and start the fight against Hasbro. Definitely going to need some help. If you can afford it, get over to Saril.net and back the Kickstarter. Thanks. Okay, cool. Word from our sponsors. Yeah. Uh, George it's Hamps interesting that they've gone back to his game, uh, going back to take the old style yeah, with yeah. pictures and books, and which is my recollection from high school. Yeah. I'm dating myself terribly there. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah look, looks cool. Yeah. Um, George says, so Jimmy News prevented Calvin Robinson from using Crusade in the title of his show, but here they are defending Jihad. They can't fail fast enough. I'm not sure that that's necessarily an endorsement by Jimmy News. Um, no, that was headliners, but they're making fun of it. Right. Like, I Adrian says, quick question on Australian voting. If voting is compulsory, presumably ID is mandatory. Sorry? Is no, ID mandatory? No, uh, ID is not used in Australia because the system for... Don't feel oppressive. Very, very... Uh, base, basically, the administrative load is borne by the Australian Electoral Commission and the wider Australian and the different state electoral commissions and the wider Australian state at registration because registration is compulsory and a lot of that work is done through the high schools so that everybody gets registered to vote. 
So you don't need to go into the polling station and show ID. And very simply, the system is so efficient and well run that this is the state capacity thing again. This is just something that Australians do extremely well is run elections. I mean, to the point where when the various people, when all the fights were happening over the US election and was it free and fair, I mean, if you talk to someone from the Australian Electoral Commission, they would go, oh, this is something that is a conversation that happens after every American election. People do not yeah. realise how badly run yeah, American are. elections are. They're terrible. And it doesn't matter who's in the government, both sides do it. It is just terrible. And it is to do with the fact that the, of all the Western liberal democracies, the United States copied the least from the Australian system that was developed in the late 19th century, the, the Aussie secret ballot system. The reason you're given a pencil in the UK is because the Australia, Australian electoral officials worked out that if you gave people pens, dipping pens, this is the 19th century and early 20th century, they would put ink splots all over their ballot paper. That's the fineness of detail that you're, de you're dealing with. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, basically the... Um, The compulsion element is at registration, not in the ballot box. What it's happens just, if I refuse to register at school? You get fined. There would be quite significant repercussions. You can do some people. <laughs> <do>. Ominous. <laughs> uh, some people do their, the head teachers just like Steve. I just don't want to, mate. <laughs> uh, there's a had to be a Movis vivendi worked out in Australia with Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Because they don't vote, it's part of their religion not to vote. Right. Because they consider that to and be and to prevent like, an Australian genocide of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so some of settlement. them, some of them, uh, uh, the decision is yeah, made. The Jehovah's Witnesses they register to vote and they just pay the fine each time. There we go. And it's only twenty dollars, so they just pay the fine each time. What if I don't want to pay my fine? That's when you get a court case, yeah, and they get quite nasty. They end up a Stevo just on the end of his billy bong, going, "Look, mate, I just don't want to vote," you know. And <laughs> The full force of the Australian state comes down on me for not being forced into democracy. I would love, because no one, not 100% vote, right? So I'd love to find out who is avoiding it and and not just like the Jehovah's Witness case, but there must be some people who fall through the cracks. The, uh, the, it's pretty clear that if pe people do fall through the cracks, certainly when I was working in the Australian parliamentary system, it tended to be minority religious groups like Jehovah's Witnesses. They would dodge the registration element. Um, there are also some varieties of Sufi Islam, which is their version of Quaker, yeah. the, the pacifist sort of Islam. They don't vote either, but I have to be quite scrupulous about that because some do and some don't. Right, it right. Vary, it varies from group to group. Um, some, some of them don't to either. themselves against the Australian state. And so you get the... So there has been... A Movis Vivendi. There have been concerns expressed uh, over the the election, over the referendum last Saturday, um, because the last time I looked on the tally room, the Australian Electoral Commission website, they hadn't finished the count. There was no formal declaration. The writs hadn't been returned, and there was no formal statement saying that all the votes had been counted. So take this with a pinch of salt, everyone. But only 83% of, uh, it looked like if you calculated the number of votes counted taken from the total enrolment, that there'd only been 83% turnout, which is seems incredibly high to someone yeah, from not, any other. Not to an but Australian. In a, but yeah. not to an Australian. That means 
a slippage. Now, it may be wrong because the count is not complete. I know, for example, that when I went to vote up at Australia House in the Strand, Gringotts in the Harry Potter films, the fancy bank, the the Goblin Bank in Harry Potter was filmed in Australia House in the Strand. It's a very beautiful historic embassy. And I was told by Australian Electoral Commission staff when I was there that uh, these votes are not counted here. They are bundled up and they are sent back to Australia to be counted. And if you even escape Australia, they've still got like an embassy. Like the Chinese, they'll come around and compulsorily make you vote. It's not compulsory if you live overseas, but it is quite hard to escape their clutches. (laughs) The the French Callum Fate says, does Australia have any plans to contain the anger of the Aboriginal gods now that the no vote has won? I bet it hasn't got a single Um, plan, has it? No, not a single plan. I mean, I'm sure yes would like to rain down the Aboriginal equivalent of fire on, on, on the people who ran the no campaign. And the reason I say that is because Two of the leaders of the No campaign were a woman called Senator Jacinta Najijinpa Price. And if you see pictures of her, Najiminpa, that's how you say it, obviously Aboriginal. And another chap, Warren Mundine, who is also Aboriginal. Yeah. And uh, it's just... And their pictures, the, the one you put up earlier from the Tory graph just had their slogan, but the um, the how to vote cards that are handed out by booth workers had a picture of the two of them. So here were these two Aborigines telling you to vote no. You've just found them, haven't you? She just put some feathers in her head. Yeah. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is totally wild and a brilliant speaker. Honestly, if you go and collect her speeches, she is now seriously being spoken of as Australia's first Aboriginal Prime Minister. Oh, really? She's a really, really good public speaker. Uh, If she's not going to wipe her ass with the state, I'm not interested. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Abe says, Carl, good on you for insisting on holding Callum to the intro standards. He's been slipping since this whole project started. Resist his natural Zuma tendency towards degenerating things around him. I think he's making a good point there, man. I don't think he is. I think yeah, I, I know, but what this, are they is, this is about? Zoom is it prejudice. Is not wear a jacket or something? No, I, I don't tell people um, whether or not they need to go to work today yeah. by, by telling them the date. The date. Because people rely on this podcast to know. Yes. They wake right. up in New York. And, and you're disappointing and letting down those people. I'm going to start that giving them wrong. That used to be the role of the front page of the newspaper if you didn't know if you had exactly, to Exactly, but they don't the read it now. So to, to know if you had to catch a flight that day. <laughs> yes, now today everyone wakes up and checks out the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Before they get on the train. Yes. Okay. Do we have time or are we doing more? I thought we were doing more. Okay. Um, Sorry, I didn't realize the time. I'm pitching. No, no, it's all right. Um, but uh, okay, we'll go for one more. Uh, the more corrupt the state, the more numerous the laws, says Tastus. Through yes, that is JJ's correct. Story. Well, that, that's not quite the translation. Um, the, the expression of Tacitus is once we suffered from crimes, now we suffer from laws mm. because he was living in the first great lawyer society and the, the lawgiver civilization. There have only ever been two. It's the Romans and the English. And so he was starting to see the phenomenon of a, a powerful state, unusually high state capacity for a pre-industrial civilization, the Romans, doing the, the thing that high state capacity countries do, which is, oh, we have a problem. Let us pass a law to fix yes. it. That Exactly that kind of thinking. Yes. Uh, Alexander says, I would vote for Malay for US president. Uh, I'd vote for him for British Prime Minister. 
I just, I just, I just want him to be in charge of everything. Yeah, I, I just UN. Yeah, just I just want people like him in charge of things. I'm really tired of the sort of polite, demure, rules based order of society these days. I just want a bit of chaos, a bit of anarchy. I completely agree, and your way of putting it of like, oh, we just elect a clown. Yeah. Frankly, yeah, I don't even care what their ideology is if they're a funny clown. Oh, no, they, that point, well, this was the, the logic. I mean, I, I do know people hate British novelty candidates, you know, Lord Buckethead and Count Finhead and, yeah. and yeah, the monster raving loony party and so on and so forth. It's got to be a proper lunatic. But, well, when Screaming Lord Such was alive, that's how the monster raving loony party worked. Mm. He was a proper nutter and he would, I mean... A performative nutter, obviously, and he would turn up and he would rain on various electoral parades all over the country, and it was very funny, and the country mm. got a laugh out of it. But that that works in more stable times. I mean, this guy isn't actually trying to be funny; he just is funny. He's actually trying to. Fix he's trying to make. A, he's do. He's trying to make a oh. point and do something real. Yes, sure, yeah. but I'm getting more to. I remember we had a meeting with this guy from the AFD once, and he told us a great story, which is that um, when they were starting to rise in the polls, they got a meeting because the new. Uh, ambassador from the United States to Germany had been picked by Donald Trump. And this guy was picked not because he knew anything about Germany, but because he was a funny guy and also was, you know, the kind of guy who liked Trump. So obviously <laughs> he met with the conservatives in Germany and just went, this is boring. And then just went and hung out with the AFD for the next four years. <laughs> because why wouldn't you? Like they're actually the interesting people in Germany. <laughs> and I don't know. I want more of that. But on that note, I, I think we're out of time. So where would people go and find more of you? I suppose uh, I say. Yeah, that's yeah, not on your team. www.notonyourteam.co.uk is my substack. It's a custom domain. That's why it's got that. It's based on my Twitter handle. Uh, not on your team, but always fair. That is me. And then on Twitter, at underscore Helen Dale. And so I have done that um, deliberately uh, to so pe people make it, it easy to find me. I don't just write on the Substack. I also publish Lorenzo Warby's stuff. We're having our second Zoom chat for paid subscribers only tomorrow at 10, um, 10 a.m. British Standard Time. You will have to take out a paid subscription for that. Everything else is free. Just subscribe. You will get all the, the reading and I'm not going to charge you for it. The main thing I'm trying to do is build up to 10,000 followers. We're subscribers. We're about a little bit under 4,000 at the moment uh, to so that I can take it as a fair complete for Lorenzo Warby's book. And one of the things we'll be talking about, and I just flagged it up very briefly here, but tomorrow, and I'm going to write a piece on this as well, is this decolonization rhetoric. Mm. And we've actually got uh, and I can tell the Lotus Eaters here, Professor Katie Barnett, who I mentioned earlier as a guest of Lorenzo's as mine on the pod and mine on the podcast, because she, like me, was forced to do one of those compulsory subjects as an undergraduate. And she adopted a different strategy from me. I mean, I lied. She didn't lie. She tried to fight them and has got a really, a, and this is in the 90s, you have to remember. Yeah, it's been where going women, on for a long time. It's been going on for a very long time, so we can give a bit of an intellectual history. And both of us, because Katie's got uh, Jewish ancestry, she's not halakhically Jewish, but she goes to a synagogue, she's Jewish on her father's side. She, like me, noticed very early on that the rhetoric that uh, Australia's Indigenous types mm. copied 
It was very much copied. It was not them. They used to speak differently when they were arguing yeah. civil rights or even separatism. They said they used to sound more like the Black Panthers. Right. If you go back to the seventies, to be fair, yeah. I mean, which is a recognisable political group. Even if you disagree with them, you you can spot that sort of a black power type rhetoric. And then suddenly it changed. It became this decolonisation, occupier, settler. Mm colonial entity, all of these things, and Katie and I noticed at about the same time, hang on, they've lifted this off the Palestine conflict. And so we're going to talk a bit about that history. Hmm. Chiefly, the, the big point is that when they say that decolonisation means material reality, they mean you as well. Yeah. This is a very violent ideology. Anyway, otherwise we will be back tomorrow. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>